I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. What a blessing to be a part of a church family that that loves, that's connected, that prays for one another. Uh, I can tell you from all the conversations that I've had uh, this week, and I've had a lot of them, there are a lot of people in our congregation whom you're praying for that are just so grateful for your prayers, which fits with today's message. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7. And John, again, uses that wonderful word, beloved. And he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, the love of God, was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me before we share together from this passage. Father in heaven, as we open up Your Word and as we turn our hearts and our minds toward the teaching that You have given to us, toward Your Word through the Bible, we ask, Father, that You would... Quicken our hearts and our minds. Help us to be able to comprehend, to understand, and then to apply these things to our lives. Help us to grow from what we've experienced here today. And Father, we thank you for your love for us revealed in Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Now, I'm not going to try to cover this entire passage because, as you notice, we're going to be sharing together in the Lord's Supper. But this passage applies to what we're going to be observing here briefly in a short period of time. When verse 7 begins, John is continuing the encouragement that he has been giving in the previous verses, and we won't go through that again. Uh, We've covered that extensively the last few weeks. But now he turns his attention. Not only are we uh, protected, not only is he who is in us greater than he is in the world, not only are we to test all the spirits and that we are to Not only are we to do all those things, but we are to love one another. And that one another is important. We have lots of commandments in the New Testament about who to love and how to love. But now we're told here, and we're told often in 1 John, that we are to love one another. The one another is referring to the church, the body of Christ, other believers, You don't think we should have to have this commandment in here, right? We shouldn't have to have this instruction that we are to love one another, should we? We're we're saved. We're born again. We've been bought with the blood of Christ. So why should anyone tell us that we need to love one another? Well, there's a very good reason. Because we struggle in loving one another, you know? We struggle in understanding what that means. But we're told in this verse that we're not just to love one another, but we're to understand why we are to love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We have this encouragement that we are to love one another, and then we're told why this encouragement is given. We are encouraged. By the way, he says, let us. That's an encouragement phrase. That's a that's, that's a phrase that, you know, he's not commanding. He's not hammering home. He's saying, let us love one another. Loving one another should not be a burden. 
Loving one another should not be a bother. We need to be encouraged to do that. And we're supposed to encourage one another, according to Scripture, to love and good works. We're to encourage one another. And the greatest act of encouragement any of us can do for those around us is to model that thing we want to encourage others in. You want to encourage other people to love and good works? Guess what? Obey Scripture, honor Christ, love other people, and do good works. And other people will see that. They'll glorify your Father in heaven, and and they'll be encouraged in that. Show people what this looks like. Demonstrate it. This encouragement is to love one another. And then we're told why. For love is of God. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? We know God is love. We've read that in this passage in this, in this book. We know that for God so loved the world. We know that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We understand that God loves and that God is love. But love is of God. Love is from God. That's not the only thing that is of God. The peace that passes understanding is of God. The inexpressible joy the scripture talks about is of God. We are of God. And he's going to talk about that in a moment. Love is of God. And everyone, this is tricky, I hope you're listening. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And you know what I like about that verse? Be prepared. I'm getting ready to be sarcastic. Okay? Some of you need me to tell you that in advance. And so I'm letting you be warned. Since everyone who loves is born of God, then everyone on earth is born of God. Because guess what? Everybody loves somebody, right? Ask one of those old croners, you know. Everybody loves somebody, right? So everybody's saved. Everyone knows God right? They're born of God. And then all of a sudden, if you're paying attention to your Bible study, you have to start scratching your head and you have to start answering questions. Because evidently, since we know that's not true, not everyone is saved. Not everyone is born of God. Not everyone knows God. This isn't a universalist verse of scripture. We need to say, well, if it says everyone who loves God is born of God or everyone who loves is born of God, what is love? It can't be what everybody experiences, right? Otherwise, everybody would be saved according to verse 7. So this must be talking about a specific type of love, a unique love, a love that the lost person or the atheist or, or the person who does not profess a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, a love they know nothing about, a love that is unique to those who know God and are born of him. So what kind of love are we talking about? And there's the challenge, isn't it? Because every single one of us, before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, had an idea of what love was. Whether we loved our parents or whether we loved a sibling, or whether there was a boyfriend or girlfriend out there we knew about, or whether we loved an event or an activity or whatever. we Before we were saved, even when I was saved at the age of six, I had experienced what love was from my perspective prior to that. I was loved by my family, and I loved them. So what is this? What is this kind of love that is unique to those who know God and are born of God? It's a higher degree of love. You know, the problem with the way I loved before Christ, and frankly at times after Christ, is that there's a selfish focus to love. I have been really, really blessed to marry or to perform the ceremony for a lot of people. 
that kind of love that you talk to young couples about, it has a tendency to be a selfish love. But that young love, as you know and I know, is often about what the other person is going to bring to your life. That kind of love is not usually the love we read about in couples' lives in Ephesians chapter 5, where it says a husband is to love his wife laying down his life for her, and she is to love and revere him, being submissive to him. That's a giving love. That's a Christian love. That's not the kind of love most of us think about. Matter of fact, if I love you the way the world does, if you're not meeting my needs, we sever relationships and move on. That's not Christian love. That's not biblical love. That's not this. This is a love that is willing to go to the cross. That's what we see. Verse 9 says, In this the love of God was revealed, the kind of love we're talking about, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. He went to the cross. We're told that that kind of sacrifice is required. Now, sadly, if you try to live this kind of love, you will be surrounded by other believers who will tell you, no, you need to balance this. You need to be careful. You're going to overdo it. You're going to overextend yourself or, or whatever. Sorry, if the way you love someone else doesn't end in your death at the cross, then you have further you can go. God recognizes sacrificial love. I've mentioned this to you before. We have this idea that if somebody wants to do something for us, that's nice. But if they don't want to do something for us, well, then don't bother at all. I'll put before you, when you don't want to do something for someone, but you do it anyway with the right attitude, that's biblical love. David said, I'll not give to God anything that doesn't cost me something. Love costs If it didn't cost, we wouldn't be encouraged to love this way. We see our brother who has need. We have the resources to meet that need. Love meets the need. That's what we've already read in this passage, in this book. We need to challenge ourselves with God's view of love, not our comfortable view of love. Not like, well, I've gone far enough. Well, they don't really need this. And on top of all of that... In our loving one another, we can't qualify other people to see whether or not they're deserving of our love. See, that's what we do in the world, right? Well, they're sorry, they're lazy, they don't take care of themselves, so I'm not going to help them out. And everybody says, well, that sounds reasonable, (laughs) you know? Why should I work myself silly just to take care of them when they won't do anything at all? The Bible says if a man won't work, he won't eat. But the problem with all of these things is, I did not deserve the love of God. He demonstrated his love toward me in that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. So you don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my help. You don't deserve me to do this. You don't deserve... That doesn't enter into it. What enters into it is, does God want me to love this person this way? That's it. If you have a doubt of whether or not you should do that, the answer is yes. Why? Because I'd rather fail loving someone genuinely than not love them when I'm supposed to. This love is not convenient. It doesn't operate within our calendars. It doesn't operate within our 24-hour schedule. It's hard. Did y'all hear that? Loving the way God calls us to love because we are born of him and know him is hard. And the reason why it's hard is we are still in this flesh and blood body, which still struggles against sin. I mean, if I have to help you, if I have to love you, if I have to give to you, I have to take away from me. 
And we all know me is the most important person in the world. And we all say, oh, that's silly. And yet we wrestle with that every single day of our lives. We do. So it's a kind of love that comes from God. We measure this love against his love for us. Verse 8, he who does not love, and I would add, he who does not love as God calls us to love, does not know God. Now that's harsh. That's serious. If you do not love the way a Christian is supposed to love, a follower of Christ is supposed to love, you can't claim to know God because God is love. I have been born again. God is my father. I have been born again. I have a new birth. I'm a new creation. I am part of God. I am of his seed. I am a brother of Jesus Christ. God has given me life through his love, through his son, and I have Jesus who models what that love looks like and God who is the source of that love and has demonstrated it so I could be forgiven of my sin and saved. If I walk through this world and do not love my brothers and sisters in Christ the way God has called me to, which is more than just simply affection, love them with my goods, love them with my time, Love them with my attention. Love them, love them. If I don't do that, then I need to not claim I'm of God. If I live my life in your presence and you just have to put up with me because I'm not growing for anybody, take me the way I am or don't take me at all, there's a problem with that attitude. When we are saved, we are converted into something new. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I was lost in my sin. Now I'm born again to new life, to a forgiven life, to an eternal life in Jesus Christ. Changes should be made. Some of those changes are automatic. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit coming into your life just puts a different perspective on everything. But according to the Bible, with all of these instructions and encouragements, and a lot of these changes need to be put on. We need to strive to grow in these things. Do you know what's amazing about this? And because of communion, I'm not going to go further with this. But you know what's amazing about this? When we love the way God says to love, the joy and the peace and the freedom we experience is unlike anything else. It does not feel good being stingy. It doesn't. It doesn't feel good to be greedy or selfish. There's guilt associated with that because we know what God's word says. There's not peace in our hearts because we're in conflict. Sometimes we go to other people for counsel in these situations and we're hoping they tell us that our stinginess is okay. So we can legitimize our our lack of love. That's a problem. And by the way, don't be the person who counsels somebody to not love. Well, I don't know. That seems a little extreme. And then gives you a hundred reasons why you shouldn't. You only need one why you should. God is love. Act like your father. Isn't that awesome? This isn't easy. And please don't think that because I'm sharing like I'm sharing, as bold or as encouraging as I am, that this is all gravy for me. I deal with this stuff all the time. My wife and I deal with this all the time. But praise the Lord, I can tell you this. 
the more you yield to the word of God and to the spirit of God in loving or doing anything he says, the more you realize the great rewards and benefits that God wants us to know and the easier it gets. It does. I don't know what your particular situation is. I dare say that most of us have areas where we have no problem loving someone else, none whatsoever. And then areas where it's really a challenge. Maybe time's not a problem, but money is. Maybe money's not a problem, but time is. I don't know. But if you read these words, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That's important. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This encouragement doesn't sound too optional to me. It's not a command, but it's helping us to identify who really is born of God and who really knows God and who does not. By the way, you want to understand why this ties together? Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. How do you test the spirit? Well, if someone's not loving the way God calls us to be loving, and it's obvious, there's a problem there. I'm praying that you, along with myself, recognize this kind of love. I'm going to transition to communion, but I want you to stay with me because the message is not over. It's just going down to the table. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, was observing the Passover meal with his disciples. He was getting ready to go to the cross. He knew this. The disciples had been told what was going on over and over and over again, and yet they're oblivious. During that evening of the Passover meal, when they are observing what happened back in the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt, that great delivery that God provided, as they were remembering all of that, the disciples are over here somewhere in this upper room arguing, bickering. And they had good reason to bicker because they were, they had an issue they had to, they had to solve. They had to solve who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. And they're over there bickering, saying, not you're going to be greatest. No, not me. You. They weren't doing that. Whether it was Peter or James or James, the son of Matthew or John, whoever it was, they're together saying, I'm going to be greatest. Can you imagine such a thing? And somebody, no, I'm going to be greatest. You can't be because, can you imagine It's beyond comprehension that grown men who'd walked with Jesus for three years, who are getting ready to observe the Passover, the most solemn, sacred event in Jewish history, they're arguing like five-year-olds who should be in charge. And you know what Jesus does, right? He takes off his outer garment. He picks up a basin of water, a basin of water that was there to wash feet. Evidently, nobody had bothered washing anybody's feet. Not even the masters, not even the lords. And he picked it up, puts a towel in his undergarment, and he begins, like a common slave, to wash his disciples' feet. He doesn't say, y'all need to knock it off. He doesn't say, you're all a bunch of selfish babies, grow up. He just picks up a bowl, picks up a towel, and begins washing feet. He comes to Peter, there's a a discussion, you'll never wash my feet. Peter gets it. They all get it. But Peter talks, he argues, if I don't wash you, you can't be my disciple. You have no part of me. He said, then wash all of me, Lord. And then Jesus looks at him with patience I can't comprehend and says, 
No, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken. You only need your feet washed. And he washed his feet. He gets done. He puts everything down. By the way, his feet are still unwashed. His feet have not been washed. But the twelves are. He puts on his robe and he says, what I've done is an example to you. This is what you need to do with one another. I have loved you. Love one another. That's what the church is to be. If the church is that, then what Jesus says about the church is true. They will know you're my disciples if you have this kind of love one for another. If we love each other the way the world loves one another, the way lost neighbors love lost neighbors and, and lost relatives love lost, if we just love like that, they don't need to look at us and see anything. They can't see anything that they can't see out there. But they need to see a congregation who feeds its own when it needs to be fed, who calls one another when they need to be called, who prays for one another continually, who shows up to help whenever they possibly can. It doesn't mean you're the only one who does this. By the way, if we all do it, the load is really light. And it actually becomes kind of fun because we're doing it together. And God wants us to know that communion and that fellowship, that intimacy of being a part of the body of Christ. He sets this example. And then he goes from there with his disciples. Judas has gone on to betray him. He goes to the garden. He prays three times, Father, think about this. If there's any way, let this cup pass from. Father, if there's any way, please don't let me drink the cup of the cross. I don't want to bear the world's sins. I don't want to experience separation from you when I do bear the world's sin. I don't want to feel the pain, physical, emotional, spirit. I don't want it. Father, great drops of blood coming from his forehead. Father, I don't want to do this. Guess he was in a sinful state of mind, right? No. The most reasonable thing he could possibly do was not want to do that. But after the third time, he gets up. Tortures are coming through the garden. Judas is at the head. Judas kissed him on the cheek. Jesus speaks, and they fall over backwards in the garden, clearly telling us they couldn't take him. He surrendered himself. You know why he surrendered himself? Love. He didn't want to. It was going to cost something none of us could ever comprehend. But God so loved the world. Isaiah 53 says, He loves us so much that it pleased God. God to bruise him. That's love. That's the love we've been born of. That's the love we are to display in one another's lives. Then he went to the cross, scourged, beaten on the face, beard pulled from his face, crown of thorns upon his head, purple robe on his back, mocked and laughed at, spat upon, ridiculed, And he went all the way to the grave for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising its shame. He hated the shame of the cross, but there was a joy on the other side. And by the way, you better hear this. When we love the way Jesus loves, there's a joy on the other side of the sacrifice. It may not be easy, may not be fun. You may not totally recover from the expression. (laughs) But there's a joy you cannot know otherwise On the other side, in this, the love of God has been manifested toward us. Isn't that something? And as we get ready to take this cup, this cup of juice, 
and this cracker. If you're here and all you're doing is just going through the motions, you're missing the whole thing. Because Jesus, on that night of the Passover meal, before he washed the feet, he told his disciples, you need to do this as an everlasting memorial. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're doing, remembering his love and his life and his sacrifice for us. And when we leave this table today, we need to walk out and exhibit his love, his life, and his sacrifice, especially among one another. But then we're to love enemies and we're to love the stranger and we're to love our neighbor. And I mean, it's everywhere. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, I cannot comprehend your love. With the greatest efforts of my imagination, with my thoughts, with my meditations, I don't think I even come close to scratching the surface of your love or that of your son or your spirit. I thank you that I have been witness to great acts of love in the name of Jesus within the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ but I still seek to grow in understanding and exhibiting the kind of love I know you want me to have. I dare say there are others who feel the same way. Father, I throw myself at the foot of the cross today, confessing my unworthiness, confessing that sometimes I don't even work very hard at this kind of love, and yet your love covers the multitude of sins within me. The blood of Christ has cleansed me of all unrighteousness. And again, I am unworthy. Thank you for your spirit that continues to prod me forward, continues to guide me in greater understanding and greater maturity. Thank you, Father, that you do not quit on us like we might quit on ourselves or one another. Thank you for a salvation that is eternal. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn more of love just in that understanding. Now, Father, as we prepare to come to your table, remembering what Jesus has done, remembering your love in giving us Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would confess our sins before you right now, that we would prepare our hearts to take this communion right now so that we might take it in honor of Jesus Christ in a worthy way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.